Hello, I am Trey Ratcliffe, and welcome to my rather unusual podcast I call Walk and Talk with Trey. The show is mostly about creativity and consciousness, but the conversation often delves into other far-flung erudite subjects, and there's plenty of silly stuff to balance all that out. All of these were originally recorded on a 360-degree video camera that shoots in 5.7K. I hold it in front of me while I walk and talk with interesting people. You're now listening to the audio version that is more convenient in many situations, but keep in mind, you can always jump over to YouTube and watch the 361 too. It's fun because you can move the camera all around. If you get tired of watching me blab away, just move the camera around and look at all the beautiful scenery around us. Note that the show is ad-free. If you like it, then I have something fun you can do. I have this members-only section of the blog called the Stuck in Customs Passport. You can get there by going to stuckincustoms.com passport. For just the cost of a few cups of coffee per month, you can support the show and get access to over 100 different videos. These are inspirational videos, how-to videos, and filled with all sorts of mind vitamins. My goal with all these things is to spread consciousness and fun and love around the world. Maybe that sounds silly to you, but I hope it doesn't. Anyway, please come subscribe. I appreciate you. Okay, let's get started with a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, I can announce some of the cities I'm going to be visiting over the next uh, year. I'm actually visiting over 40 cities to do art talks. I talk about uh, love and consciousness, and I share a bunch of photos and tell stories and give you some mind vitamins. I think it'll be uh, fantastic for you. People really seem to love these events. Um, we do sell tickets. Tickets aren't expensive. It's mostly just for you know crowd control size. Um, but to find out more, go to stuckincustoms.com slash links slash rediscover the Americas. Okay. Here are the cities that I'm going to be visiting. I'm getting started in Fort Lauderdale. That's June 11th to the 15th. Orlando, June 15th to June 19th. New York, June 19th to the 24th. Dallas, my home city where I was born, June 25th to June 29th. Um, then I take a break. And starting on July 22nd to the 26th, I go to New Orleans, then Montreal. July 26th to the 30th, Toronto, July 30th to August 3rd, Pittsburgh, August 3rd to August 7th, Philly, August 7th to August 11th, and then I end in Boston from August 11th to August 15th. And then, of course, Burning Man, where we have our annual photo walk. All right. Those of you that subscribe to my newsletter at stuckincustoms.com news will get all that information. Okay, now for this episode, we get to talk with Hugh Howey, who is one of my favorite authors. He's a sci-fi author, bestseller uh, kind of guy. Um, I got to know him through reading the Wool series, uh, which actually my daughter first read, and she recommended it, so I started reading, and I loved it. And it turned out that he was on this walk on the Camino de Santiago in Spain as well. And I read a lot of fantasy fiction, this sort of thing, and I've always been interested in getting into the mind of these authors. You know, how do their brains work? And there's this process, which some of you may know about, called world building, in which these authors of, that create these worlds, they often spend years and years uh, 
coming up with the backstory. You know, who's in this world? What's the time period? What's the history? Um, and this is very important so that it's, uh, you know, it's logical and it doesn't uh, have incredibly illogical things happen, like in the latest episode of Game of Thrones, by the way. That's sloppy world building. And Hugh Howie is not a sloppy world builder. So anyway, enjoy this talk. You get a little into his brain. And I hope you come to love this guy as much as I do. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Trey Ratcliffe here. I'm a new friend. What is your name, new friend? Hugh Howie. So Hugh, if you don't know, is a very famous sci-fi author. Not that famous. Pretty famous. And uh, he writes uh, many different sorts of books, hopefully some of which are coming to a TV near you. But I think the most famous one is the Silo series, starting with Wool. Is that right? Yep. I read it. I loved it. Fantastic. Thanks, man. So where are we right now? What's going on? We're in Spain, and we're walking toward uh, Santiago on a uh, UNESCO World Heritage Trail. We're on a pilgrimage. Yeah, we're on a, normally it's a little trail like we happen to be some sort of neighborhood right now, but we're here with Kevin Kelly. He's invited along nine other ne'er do wells to join us on this. It's fun, isn't it? Everyone's so I like clever. Ne'er do wells sounds like nerd. Like yeah. the first part of that sounds like nerd. Well, that's really it's, apt. Uh, there's no doubt about it. So I want to ask you about world building. I've always wanted to ask a sci-fi author about this idea of uh, world building because I think it's it's like such a such a cool thing. So maybe first describe what world building is to you, and then I want to talk about how you built this this post-apocalyptic world of silo where people are living underground and all sorts of stuff. So what's world building to you? Um, world building for me because I, uh, you know, you have to do world building even if you're writing contemporary literature. You know, you um, even if it, and even if it's an actual place, even if it's Paris, the parts of Paris that you'll pick to tell your story in is building the world for that story, and uh, the decisions you make will affect the story how good it is. But when you're a, a science fiction or a fantasy writer like I am, or historical fiction, um, sometimes you're coming up with worlds that don't exist, and the uh, the rules of the world might be different from the rules of our world. Mm -hmm. And that creates, I think, the, the fascination and tension and the uh, obstacles and drama for the characters. So I, for me, uh, writing any kind of science fiction story, it almost always starts with an idea or a, uh, something to satirize about our world. So you, you look at our world and you think, like, that's a really strange thing that we do. What if there's a world where that was exaggerated or you got rid of that completely? And then you start thinking about the effect that would have on people and then characters pop to your mind, which is the second part of, of constructing a plot. But the, it all, to, for me, it all starts with the world building. And it happens away from the keyboard. It's not, mm. You don't sit down with a blank page and try to build the world. For me, it's uh, daydreaming. It's, I used to go on walks with my dog every day and I would come up with a world like just nothing but robots, and it's been so long that uh, it's been so many millions of years that there's no memory of humans ever existing. And so there are robots who just think that, well, there was a, a sea of bolts in the beginning, and some just fell together in a way that made a self-replicating bolt machine. <laughs> they got more complex over time. So, okay, that's a new idea. Where does that go? Where do you take that? And what are the rules of this world? And what would be an interesting story in this world? 
and then you think, well, maybe the robots find, uh, you know, a, a vault with seeds and DNA like we've actually made, and maybe they try to reconstitute a human. Well, now what's it like for a young girl to grow up in this world of robots that's never, has no memory of humans? So it starts just daydreaming and asking yourself logical questions and coming up with whatever did, answers. Did you ever write that book? Oh, yeah, no, oh, but it's, I've got it all mapped out. Yeah. Um, and so for Silo, which is a three-book series, is that right? Yep. How long did you spend world-building before you started writing chapter one? Uh, this is, okay, that's, this is an unusual book because it actually started as a short story. And then the word of mouth and the, the excitement about this short story necessitated fleshing it out into a novel. But it came out in five serialized parts that I stitched together into a novel. So for a, for a novel, I would spend a lot of time world building. Mm. For a short story, sometimes it just starts with a first sentence or an idea mm. because you don't have to worry about consistency and complexity and mm. depth. You know, you're just going to write a vignette and that's going to be enough. So for the first part of Wool, uh, it just started with a, a first sentence. And the challenge for me was uh, the story did really, really well, and it didn't have a world for the rest of the story to take place in. Right. And uh, most of my main characters were dead. Right. <laughs> so when people were writing like Amazon reviews and saying like, ah, I love this, I want more of it, and, and right. none of my other stuff was selling like that or uh -huh. getting calls for sequels. So that was a challenge in world building that I had to come up with a world that I'd already half-assed created, mm. and it had to be rich enough to sustain a novel-length work. And consistent with the first book. Yeah. And there, right. are, probably, there are some ways I think there, there are some inconsistencies, because I... I dreamt of a much smaller world for that short story. Mm. For the novel, it needed to be much larger. Uh, and I needed to introduce new characters, and they had to have different backgrounds and occupations, so it wasn't repetitive. So, so as you're writing these books, I know these... Well, I'm not an author, I don't really know, but uh, sometimes I hear that characters kind of take on a life of their own, and they, you think that they do things that you don't expect to that ever happen, and did that require you to do some re-world building? Yeah, I, actually, like, uh, the, the story wouldn't have worked without this one character who, when I wrote the third book in the, the, the third story in that first novel, um, there was no love interest, this uh, guy named Lucas. And uh, looking back, I try to imagine this novel without this guy who becomes a very central character and a love interest for our protagonist and a reason for her to want to fight mm. for her silo and to come back and, and someone who softens her and changes her mind and who she hardens, like the whole book doesn't work, but the first draft didn't even have this guy in it. Right. And, and it's hard to imagine yeah. if you've read it. Yeah, of course, so, yeah. I can't imagine it without Lucas. Yeah, so when I, yeah. I finished the draft of the third part, and there's no Lucas, and I'm like, we need this, we need, we need some person. And yeah, to that discovery and revision process, I think it was a lot of Juliet's personality was telling me like, we, we need to see her and love and uh, see that side of her. So that took a life of its own. But the best characters, like Bernard, the, mm -hmm. the bad guy in the book, and this is, I think, true for most of my works, where the bad guy is the one who has the most uh, internal agency. Right, yeah. And when you find a bad guy like that, it's golden. 
because they do so much of your, your heavy lifting for you, so much of the plot and dialogue just comes from letting them do their own thing. So, actually, I, I was thinking about this while I was reading the book, and I haven't asked you this. I was wondering, do you think that... I feel like Westworld lifted from your book a little bit. The bad guy's name is Bernard. He's in charge of IT. He's always <laughs> fiddling with his glasses. Yeah. A lot of your chapter titles, they reuse. There's just a lot of... I feel like you influenced that accidentally. Yeah, um, it's probably subconscious on on their part, but that's uh, the cross-pollination of uh, especially genre work. I didn't, I didn't realize... Uh, one of the first people to express interest in turning Wall into a movie on the, our first phone call was like, so you're, <gasps> you're a big Fallout fan? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I am, but what does it have to do with... Oh, oh it accidentally influenced you, yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge Fallout fan, too. I was thinking, I was wondering if you wrote that before Fallout or... Well, so Fallout, the, the, the Fallouts that I fell in love with are these old uh, isometric... Oh, I remember, turn really pixel- Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I, you know, Fallout, the new Fallouts hadn't come out yet, right. uh, the, the revitalization of that. But, uh, yeah, and I realized, yeah, of course. But the, the idea of hiding underground and, and, and danger is probably even predates the, the nuclear bunkers that influenced me as a kid growing right, up in yeah. the Cold War. Mm-hmm. But I think it's probably biological, like... I think it's why we build forts as kids. Like, there's something right. about getting in a cave that feels safe. And right. Probably because we lived in them for a while. Even a couch fort. Yeah. Everyone likes a good couch fort. That's world building. So, you had a, a unique kind of uh, business model, I think. You didn't charge very much for these because you were still becoming known. The viewer can see the, the horse shit. Yeah. Like, you just look down with your right. VR goggles right now. Um... <clears throat> Yeah, the business model. Is yeah, and did you self-publish on Kindle, and then it went to another publisher? What, what happened? The first, uh, the first book was a young adult spacefaring novel mm-hmm. that I wrote for the hell of it, and just started giving to friends and family on a, on a word document, hoping someone would read it. And they encouraged me to like send it off to publishers, and I did that and got a um, a book deal with a small uh, press, and. That was already more than I ever dreamed of doing. Like, right. I just wanted to write one book in my lifetime. Right. The fact that someone else was going to edit it and publish it and pay the cost and give me some money, I couldn't believe it. But the interest in the book was good enough and the business model with a small publisher was bad enough that I realized I could do this on my own and maybe make a little money right. off this. So the, the contract for the second book came in. And I had to write a really hard-to-write letter because I love my publisher. Saying, right. I think I'm going to do this on my own. And as a matter of fact, can I buy the rights back to the first book? Oh. So then I started just self-publishing and never thought about publishers again. Right. Until Wool took off and agents and publishers and Hollywood started contacting me and saying, like, we want a piece of this. Yeah. At that point, I was loving what I was doing so much. I had the freedom to write whatever I wanted and my own schedule. I was doing my own cover art, my own pagination, and editing wow. with my mom, and uh, I loved it too much to. And at that point, I was able to quit my day job, and I was making more money than they were able to offer me. So, awesome. Yeah, I was, I was turning down agents and publishers for a while. I know I'd be successful to some degree taking this contract, but it's not fair, and I'd rather be able to do my art and have it not go anywhere, not making a living, make a living off of it. Right. Then make those sacrifices. I understand. 
All right, so next question I'll have for you tomorrow won't be any more about books, but about your new circumnavigation of the world on your boat. I want to take people to be very interested in this new chapter of your life. But before we go, I'm going to ask a personal favor my daughter, Isabella. What a beautiful she, name. She is Hold your daughter. 12. Oh, wow. And she loves your book. And I told her, I called her a few days ago, told her that we had dinner together, we talked, and you're a really nice guy. And I can like hear her crying on the other side because she's on your third book. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. So maybe like just say hi to her or something. Isabella, well, I can't wait to meet you in person. We're going to make that happen. And uh, thanks so much for reading. Hope you enjoy. And I'll, uh, I think I was going to sign you a book, but may have gotten stuck in customs. Yeah, the so book did get stuck in customs. We'll, uh, <coughs> we'll send you a copy. And uh, yeah, cool to meet your dad. And glad we got another young reader out there gobbling up stories. Thank you for that. And Isabella, maybe we could go see him. He's just over in Brisbane, Australia with his boat. Just a short flight from New Zealand. Maybe we'll pop over there and say hello. All right, Hugh, see you tomorrow. Man, this is all uphill today, isn't it? Yeah. There's been literally no downhill. Yeah. This wasn't in the brochure. <laughs>